Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. What if there's an opportunity for you to touch within yourself what truly matters, to experience an authentic awakening through self-inquiry, to move beyond all cultural and spiritual overlays and simply rest into what remains? To be freed from all distractions, maybe to feel a oneness with things you've never felt or realized before lays within you. What if this opportunity gave you the experience of bringing you back to love through the simplicity of just being? How cool would that be? I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. My guest today is Scott Berman, owner of Sky Cave Retreats, the first darkness retreat in the United States, provides folks with these very experiences. Scott is a darkness therapy pioneer, and for almost a decade, Scott retreated in complete solitude into the remote wilderness of Mount Shasta, California, and southern Baja, Mexico. From Scott's experience, a deep desire was born to create a sanctuary for other sincere self-initiating practitioners. Scott completed his first darkness retreat in 2012 and has spent over 70 days in multiple darkness retreats. Over the last few years, he has supported hundreds of people in their dark retreats and has been pioneering the darkness therapy movement at his center in Ashland, Oregon. We're excited to have Scott with us today to talk about the power of darkness retreats and the darkness experience itself. Scott, so nice to have you here. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. So darkness and total silence. I think most want to avoid these things and some are even afraid of them. And most things we do in life involve both sight and sounds, typically being constantly for hours each day overstimulated by both. And you provide folks with an opportunity to shut out both. And this is an interesting process. What led you to your interest in pursuing your own solitude that later led to making it possible for folks to have these transformative experiences through your Sky Cave retreats? Yeah, in 2000 and. To 2003, I, I had a kind of a, a disillusionment experience that lasted for quite some years where uh, there was a breakup with a girlfriend and for a period of time, that was all that I thought I really wanted that mattered was having a girlfriend. I had one. She went abroad. We broke up. And then like the pain of that really broke me in a way where I didn't want anything else from the world. And so that moved me into exploring spirituality and Mm. also into a despair that lasted for some years, even as I kind of got into and started to explore spirituality. And in that kind of movement, I also began spending a lot of time alone as there was really no pull or the world kind of lost its colors to me. Mm. So I wasn't engaging much with it and began spending a lot of time alone. So starting back in yeah 2003, I started spending a lot of time alone. And then for the course of the next about nine years, I probably spent over two years in solitude, a lot wow. in the mountains in Baja. I would spend three to six months every winter up there alone, time in Mount Shasta. I had some time in Alaska. I did probably 20 or 30 of those 10-day Cuenca Vipassana courses. And then in 2012, somebody mentioned a darkness retreat to me, and it really piqued my interest as that exploration in solitude was really something that was really dear to me. Uh And so 
my wife and I, at the time, blacked out our house and we did our first darkness retreat together. Wow. And that was now 11 years ago. We went in for five days together. And then after we finished that, I was like, wow, I want to I want to dive in more. I want to do my next one alone. And so I went back down to Baja. And so five months later, I blacked out this earth bag dome that we had built down there. And it was like an eight foot diameter dome. It was really small. You, you walk down some steps underground. I had my waste bucket, my water, some food, my bedrolls, all in this really small space. And I did my first solo darkness retreat in there. I went in certainly with a, a spiritual ego of, I've got this, I know solitude, <laughs> I, I can meditate for 12, 14 hours a day, I'm very comfortable being alone. And I was quite humbled after my first day in there that it was actually, it was a completely different way of orienting that I wasn't familiar with. Even through all my time in solitude, all my meditation, really nothing could have prepared me for that experience. And that's something that I see time and time again with the hundreds of people who have come here, that anyone who comes and thinks they're really prepared, most people who come who feel like they're really prepared are really just really good at posturing, you know, whether it's through doing hard things in life or ultimately, and some people come to see this in the darkness retreat, that their meditation is really like an advanced coping mm -hmm. mechanism. And so I was pretty humbled. I was just like, wow, I actually don't have the tools or have the particularly appropriate natural way of orienting. When I stepped into the dark, I, I could see how most of my meditation practices were actually fairly masculine. They still exerted a lot of like control through yeah. my will and I could still enter into stillness and into spaces, but it was almost like I was using myself to enter into it as opposed to softening, surrendering, mm -hmm. resting, receiving kind of more of the feminine qualities, which the darkness really kind of asks of you to really yeah. enter into it. And when I merged, I went in for 10 days and I was like, wow, I want to, I want to build a darkness retreat so I could go in more. It was also like the level of sensitivity that emerged in such a short period of time. Mm. I was coming into a point in my life where I was like, I don't have six months to go off into the woods again, but I do have 10 days. Mm. And the depth of what I was able to touch in that short period of time was like, wow, there's really something here that you can go so deep in such a short period of time, mm. especially like effortlessly. So I was moved to create a darkness retreat for myself and also for others. Really good. This whole practice has some history behind it, doesn't it? It's a common practice for many yeah of the ancient spiritual traditions from around the world that dates quite a ways back. Yeah, so there's there's the Kogis in Colombia and the Mamos who are the the elders or the medicine men of the tribe. They my understanding is at birth, however they're chosen through whatever process, they're brought into the darkness yeah. with their birth mother and the elders and that they're brought into the dark for 7 to 8 years. And my more recent understanding is that they actually do go into 
the night like they do see the moon and the stars mm. it's not total darkness for those seven to eight years they don't see the sun and they spend a lot of that time in darkness but they do come out into the night huh. at times and then there's Dzogchen, the branch in tibetan buddhism where a 49-day dark retreat is deeply woven into that for the really advanced practitioners and smaller dark retreats as people build up and in that there's specific practitioners are practicing for their life before they go into a 49-day dark retreat and they have different techniques and practices and direct connections with their masters before they go in while they're in and so there's there's a whole practice built around that and then there's traces of it through ancient Greece and Rome mm. and Egypt and throughout other traditions and lineages in Tibet and China and India and I'm sure plenty of other cultures. It's it's a pretty basic yes. movement of yeah. going into the darkness. Yeah. And and then there's this modern resurgence now where it's not based on a tradition or lineage or mm -hmm. practice or culture. And it's really fascinating to me to watch this movement yeah. kind of emerge. And I was a couple of weeks ago chatting with somebody in the Czech Republic. The Czech Republic is an interesting country for darkness retreats. Is there's 20 yeah. darkness retreats in the small country of Czech. And I was talking to him and he said just about half the population knows what a darkness retreat is because somebody they know have done it. It's a small population right? and there's so many darkness retreats and they even have one on the grounds of a hospital where yeah. these people have access to a psychotherapist and huh. the people who are just a general therapist who they're supporting them. And so it's mm -hmm. really becoming more and more woven into their culture as darkness therapy. And I was asking him about the modern history because I was under the impression that it was Montauk Chia that kind of really brought this to the masses in another level. So Montauk Chia is a Qigong master in Thailand, and he has a darkness retreat center there. It's done differently than how we do it. There's their group dark retreats. So he goes in there and there's instructions and there's teaching. So kind of more based on some of the ancient traditions of where there is a teacher and there is a teaching and there's practices that you're being walked through with your teacher. I was under the impression that he kind of repopularized this kind of modern resurgence, but apparently in the 60s, there was a study in uh, British Columbia and Canada that they called it, it wasn't darkness retreat or therapy. It was something, it was like a sensory deprivation mm -hmm. kind of study right. where they'd bring people into the dark and they collected a lot of data, did a lot of research that went on for about 30 to 40 years. And the guy in the check was saying that was really the basis oh. for some of these other countries to adopt it, where they were seeing how how much it was moving people, relieving anxiety, how it was good for depression and all these yeah. different things and markers that they were finding. And Montauk Chia really perhaps brought it into the foreground for the kind of modern spiritual new age movement yeah. and kind of yeah. popularized it there. But for like general therapy, that was kind of back in the 60s through the 70s and 80s, and then other countries adopting it because they were seeing the benefits. Well, that's quite it. a rich history. That's really a rich history, isn't it? And various, you know, various ways that it's being done. Let's talk a little bit about how you do it, you know, up there. Paint yeah. a picture for our yeah. listeners of what your retreat caves look like, maybe the duration you know, what one goes into, we're going to, well, I'm going to talk about the transcendent experience separately in just a moment, but paint a picture 
of what someone could mm -hmm. see about, you know, entering into and what they experience in there and the number of days, the hours, et cetera, and the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. So typically somebody arrives in the afternoon and they have the rest of the day to settle in and acclimate themselves to the space, to slowing down. We're out here in the wilderness. So that's a big step for most people who come from cities or busy lives. And then they tend to go into the dark that night and then emerge the next day. So it's like that first full 24 hours of arriving is just to settle in, to slow down, mm. to take time to really not just go from 100 to zero in terms yeah. of like our pace. Right. And so that next day, it's kind of self-guided. Some people come out in the morning. Some people may come out in the afternoon. They come out. They maybe go for a walk. They sit outside. And there's a session that happens with somebody who works here with us. She weaves in cranial sacral, somatic therapy, self-inquiry. And she also has a really profound level of awakening within herself. And so she's able to track and see what's happening within someone almost before they can even see it or oh, yeah. sometimes that they can't even see. And so she has the gift of being able to point. Yeah. And at that moment, people can begin to see on their own and start to walk through doors that they didn't have access to, weren't comfortable going through, weren't yeah. even able to see, which kind of begins the process of yeah. opening their subconscious, kind of which, which the is what happens there. in the dark. Yeah. 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 And so people begin to see things within themselves that they didn't normally see and have the support of being with that and going into that. And that, yeah, it's priming the pump of what ultimately happens when they enter in. And so oh, that God. night, their second night here, they enter fully into the darkness. And most people go in for three to four full days. Yeah. And then they emerge in the morning. And I bring them out into the light. I sit with them for an hour, two hours, whatever is appropriate as they kind of unpack their experience yeah. and reflect on it. Then they have another session with Adrian and yeah. to again, like unpack and to settle deeper into kind of the realizations that they touch, like really what is and was the most deep and direct knowing yeah. that you had. And that's really where one goes and deeper and deeper into that. And they have that session with Adrian. And then they also have the rest of the day to integrate, to go for a walk, go in the sauna, jump in the cold creek, whatever it may be, spend one more night in the space, and then they leave the next morning. So the spaces are like a 3,000 square foot room. There's a bathtub for hot baths, toilets, sink, space to roll around. There's a bed and a place to sit and eat on the ground. So they're they're pretty spacious. The hot bath becomes people's only friend and best friend. And it really makes it an impact in assisting people into kind of the process of softening, resting, surrendering, and kind of letting go of this burden that's always with us to progress, to achieve, to attain. And even on the spiritual levels, even within spirituality and spiritual practices and techniques and teachings, there's this sense of progress and achieving and attaining and awakening and healing and fixing and all of these things. And in the darkness, like sometimes that becomes your greatest misery. 
I mean, through and through, it becomes your greatest misery. And even the spiritual traps of that become a misery in there because you have direct contact Mm -hmm. with that which never changes. Mm -hmm. And so when you really allow yourself to fall into that which remains, the aspiration to change and achieve and attain and heal and awaken become kind of like worthless and meaningless because they're not here. It's like what matters is here. And I think we've we've heard that all through all the different teachings and podcasts and books we've read, but it becomes actually like a visceral lived in experience for people when they enter into the darkness. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Whether you're a longtime or first-time listener to Behavioral Health Today, you're probably familiar with Triad, the company that brings you this podcast. But you may not know that Triad also hosts a community for current and aspiring behavioral and mental health professionals, featuring trending content and education and career resources, all for free. If you are a behavioral or mental health professional, or you're studying to become one, Join more than 80,000 people on Triad by claiming your free professional account today. Visit us at hellotriad.com bht. That's hellotriad.com bht. And join the Triad community today. That's really the transcendent part. It sounds like you're encouraging that just the process itself is a softening, resting, surrendering process. And... I would imagine a lot opens up. Uh, you're talking about how masks get let go of, and we were talking before the show, uh, our executive director here, Peter and I, about he was saying how things get shaved off, you know, the influences of society, and you just have yourself. And when those things are shaved off, when those things are kind of almost deconstructed and let go, and you rest into these places, what are you seeing and hearing from folks in terms of what their increased awareness allows or things that maybe were avoided before through the busyness of life or maybe the, the secondary unconscious and how we stay busy and distracted all all in ways to cope or maybe even like you said meditation it's a, a sexy way to to manage things but it's it's just another way to cope and to put maybe things aside this process allows something very different in fact in teeing this question up with you I was listening to one of the to one of the videos and to the listeners right now, you guys got to go on this guy's site. This site is phenomenal. One, it's absolutely beautiful. And the way you you organize things around is just absolutely elegant. There's some phenomenal videos of folks, kind of nice little pithy videos that talks about their experience. <laughs> These ones guys are talking about, dude, it's like floating in fluid, just being in this darkness. They talk about the special viscous liquid juice that's so cool to be in that allows things to be tolerated in ways that you wouldn't necessarily experience. And so this is a place where things don't get avoided, do they, Scott? And where awareness has come up. Talk about that transcendent piece of it, would you? Yeah, I'd say for most people, like discomfort is the gateway. And most of us, or pretty much all of us, and just even conditioned in our biology is to avoid discomfort and to survive. And so now in our kind of modern tech 
hyperspeed lives, it's really easy to engage your attention in something and distract. And so it's like before people are almost even aware that they're uncomfortable, they're picking up their phone, right. they're watching a movie, they're watching a show, and then even wholesome things that then get like kind of righteously bypassed is they're they're going for a walk, they're juicing, they're doing yoga, meditating, whatever it may be, even wholesome activities at the root of it if somebody is really able to be honest it's like it's being done to avoid what's here and to change it into something more and you don't have that in the darkness you lose a lot of it people definitely come up with lots of ways to cope and numb and insulate in the dark but like 95 percent of what you normally have is gone and so what's interesting in that for somebody who doesn't have a spiritual background at all no spiritual language no spiritual history no spiritual practice and we have a lot of people come like that they tend to go the farthest which is was really mind-boggling to me in the beginning and certainly really humbling because I'm like, wow, I never got to have an experience like that. <laughs> right. You'd have to look at the scope of like 10 years of me meditating like five to 10 hours a day every single day to even have touched what you touched in three days. And the the authentic kind of realness of how they touched it was far beyond anything I've ever been able to witness because my whole spiritual world has been colored by all the books and the podcasts mm-hmm. and all the things that add context and language and make me feel like it has to look like this when I've arrived and all these things. And then here's, there was just somebody who came out today who I brought out of the dark and what he was able to touch with no technique, no teaching, no language, just completely blew my mind. Mm. And what I see is somebody like that goes in and the rug gets pulled out from under them. And they have none of the coping mechanisms, none of the distractions that they're used to having. And so they've got nothing. And if they're willing and open and curious, all they have is to lean into this vast, timeless space. It's like being in the presence of an enlightened master that's not necessarily embodied in a human form, but it's like the essence of enlightenment. What he was able to touch how he was able to enter into stillness for the first time in his life without a technique or practice for hours. And when he came out, I was like, you know, some people meditate their entire life and never get that much stillness. And you just fell into it. And then there's the people, and I fall into this category of like, who have a lot of spiritual stuff, who have a spiritual self, who have spiritual history, who've read all the books, who have an idea of what awakening looks like, who want to have a cosmic experience and talk to angels and cosmic beings. Why? Because that would make them feel meaningful and self-important. So it's almost like spirituality becomes another way of like grasping at a really grand higher self, but it's Mm -hmm. still within the realm of being somebody special. And like this guy who came out, that wasn't like a desire that had really been rolled around in him. So being like an important spiritual person was like an aside. Having cool spiritual experiences wasn't even of interest to him. And so he fell all the way through that, you know, and really was able to move through the veils and go beyond what he was. I mean, he even said, 
which doesn't sound that weighty because we've heard it, but he was like, you know, it was almost like I had to lose myself to yeah. find myself. Yeah. And coming from maybe a spiritual person, I'll just be like, you know, you just read that in a book or something. But like afterwards, he shared all this. I was like, you realize that like that's like an age old spiritual thing that's said mm. all the time. And he's like, I've never heard that before. Oh. Like that was like a direct experience from himself that he touched. And so what happens then when the spiritual people come in is the rug gets pulled out from under them. They don't have all these distractions and things, but what they do now have is all the concepts of who they are and what spirituality looks like and how it's supposed to be. And so they have another hurdle to overcome. And then they have all these techniques and subtle posturings of ways to avoid the discomfort and ways to kind of manage and control the space. And I heavily fall into this category. Darkness Retreat has definitely helped me see it more and allow it to unwind more. And it's like, wow, I I feel almost at a disadvantage, even with my 15 years of solitude and meditation practice to these people who come and just fall into this space and enter into it just fully. They don't have the tools to avoid discomfort as much as somebody who is so, I mean, there's the benefit Mm-hmm. of it it's not like writing off meditation and spiritual practice obviously it has its benefits but it also has its 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 strings and its stickiness which i feel like isn't really talked about that much mm-hmm. it's just like we just talk about the benefits and the cosmic bliss and whatever is however spirituality is sensationalized and there's so many hang-ups and stickiness where we then use that as another form of being special and consuming experiences. And what happens for those people, for a lot of them, is they can only fill the space for so long. So they do their meditation and their breath work and chanting and prayer and movement and yoga. And then it's like, well, now what? It's like, maybe they could do it for five hours or six hours or 10 hours, but you still, you have many more hours. And so the discomfort really starts to well up. And they've exhausted all their techniques. And so there's this moment where people authentically, genuinely open Mm -hmm. to what's presenting, even when it's not what they want. And then people begin to touch this space inside of themselves where they're not necessarily what their experience is and there's space for it. Man, that's beautiful. You're talking about this opportunity to let go of our ongoing attempts to control our world or even the subtle attempts and the subtle ways that we even control our inner worlds and just to simply rest in exactly who we are and what emerges around that. I want to come back to what you just said there. People open up to what is being presented to them. And I want to hear maybe an answer to that within the context of what do you notice the progression being, let's say five days, What's the progression like day one and then day two, typically? I'm sure there's unique experiences, but in general, what happens mm-hmm. in each one of those days subsequent to you know the prior one? Sure. Yeah. The first stage is sleep, where people will sleep just a, a long, normal night of sleep. And then some people will sleep for the entire first day. They get up, they'll have some water, maybe some food, but then they take a nap and like the first day is really sleepy. And for some people, it's just one long night of sleep. And then there's the period of novelty 
where people are like, this is amazing. No one needs anything from me. I don't have to do anything. Mm -hmm. And that could last for some people that that could last the entire first day. Or if they slept the first day, it might last into the second day. And for some people that lasts about one second. And then it kind of, it begins because then the discomfort begins. And Mm -hmm. then it's like, how does one manage and, or how does one open to Mm -hmm. the discomfort? And that becomes really the movement in the darkness of of what somebody's really willing to feel and not feel. It's like there's kind of a crossroads moment there in a way. Totally. And that crossroads is, it comes throughout the entire Uh experience. I mean, there's an initial diving in and then there's waves where somebody said like they lean into it and they settle and they open into this spaciousness. And then another wave comes and like, the subconscious opens up more stuff comes into their field and and it it's it's when someone's really willing to include and soften and not try to change or fix and there's this there's this point for some people where they're really able to touch that what they are has nothing to do with who they are mm. Like they connect with a space and the darkness really brings them into it because the darkness is this constant, spacious, soft, all-inclusive presence. And when they really allow themselves to open to that, it doesn't matter what fills the space. But in our daily life, all that matters is what's filling the space. And in our quote unquote spiritual life, all that matters is our spiritual experiences or whatever we're doing. Like, so it's all about what's filling the space. But in the darkness, the only thing that really gets you through and that really brings you beyond is when you are referencing the space and not necessarily what's filling it for your sense of self. And it's not like a dissociating, like you're including and feeling all of it. And, and it's like, and, and, and like the, and keeps expanding where there's more and more filling the space while you're simultaneously aware of and rested as the space. Yeah. The darkness brings you into that. And I think one thing that is unique in how we hold it, and in just what happens in there is there's no teacher and there's no teaching. There's support, there's some guidance, there's some questions, but like ultimately there's no teacher or teaching. And so one thing that happens, and there's there's great benefit. I have reverence for teachers and I have teachers in my life. And I think they they serve a purpose to show and illuminate things that I would never see. And to also have an experience where there is no teacher and teaching, again, you get the rug pulled out where you have nothing to compare yourself to. There's no way of tracking like, how long did I hold my focus? How long was my breath hold? Did I see this light or that light or open? Like, there's nothing to track your progress. Mm -hmm. There's no teacher to compare yourself to of like, I'm not as good as them or I'll get there sometime. It's just like, all that matters is this Mm -hmm. and how we relate to this. And we maybe know that, or we've heard that, but when it becomes so miserable, when that's not happening, you're almost forced Mm -hmm. into softening because your only other option is misery. But in the world, we have other options to avoid our misery. But in there, the only other option to avoid your misery is to actually go into it. 
Yeah. So there's this really naturally emerging organic process. If you can just allow it to happen, it will happen on its own. And you get to lean into it rather than do something with it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Which is yourself is not needed. And I think that's one thing that becomes a hindrance in meditation and new age spiritual practices where it's like you're needed to get there. You need to breathe in this way and move in this way and visualize in this way and all these things. So you're like, you're using yourself. And when you use yourself to try to go beyond yourself, it's kind of a difficult situation, mm -hmm. but in the darkness, like you're suspended in like the enlightened state, so to speak, all you need to do is, is stop doing. Yeah. And you're just, you're there. And it's uh Meister Eckhart, who was like a, a Christian mystic. He used to say, uh, the soul grows not by addition, but by subtraction. And here we are with a practice where it's not about doing or creating or manifesting or like adding spiritual experiences. It's about taking it all away because our natural state is awake, is whole, is complete, is however we want to qualify it. So if we just remove everything, all that remains is just the heart of what matters. Yeah. Scott, the folks that come to see you, what do you find is the appeal to them about this solitude, you know, discovery, and, and what types of folks are coming to experience this time with you? There's a, a wide-ranging audience. There's the people who are interested in spirituality, who have a history with it, have done plant medicine, have done other mm -hmm. meditation retreats just discovered Wim Hof and got turned on to this or just discovered breath work and mm -hmm. or people who have been doing breath work and meditation and for some time. And so this is like another um, another avenue for their self-discovery and deepening mm -hmm. into spirituality. So there's that kind of group. There's some people, they're kind of a smaller percentage who heard a podcast about or saw a video or somebody's experience that this can like make dmt come online and you just have these profound visionary experiences they're a smaller percentage they tend to um, be very disappointed mm -hmm. and that disappointment brings them beyond because the misery of that is so big that they let go and they finally just surrender and fall into and an interesting note on that to digress for a minute is almost everyone finds those to be distracting mm -hmm. and it's not the thing that they talk about like they could the, that the lights and the stuff that comes online is actually, they find to be distracting, which I've always found to be interesting because it seems like the sensationalism that maybe draws people, but most people find it to actually just be like annoying because that's not the thing that really is filling them, these experiences that come and go. And then there's, there's a, a smaller percentage of really advanced, sincere, long-time meditators who are looking to really deepen their practice and mm -hmm. are already familiar with just simply abiding in essence. They're familiar with the movement of just simply softening, being, and abiding as what they are. That's maybe like two or 3% of the people who come, but it stands out now because somebody was just here, left a few days ago, who was a longtime meditator. And there's people who have zero meditation experience who 
are completely new and just something about it called them. They're just yeah. like, I'm just curious. I mean, we've had people come and they're like, I don't even like meditation. And in the beginning, when people started coming like that, I was a little concerned, like, I don't know how this is going to be for you. <laughs> right. But it was amazing to witness the transformation that they had and how it moved them, like what stands out. And another digression in the story in that is there was the first woman to come who was like that. It was like, I don't even like meditation. And I was like, uh-oh. And she went in, she was somebody who was like an archetype of in grade school was probably picked on a lot, was not really included in the culture of her school mm -hmm. and then because of that the personality and psyche formed for her of like somebody who didn't have anything important to say she made herself really small mm -hmm. and she went in and she had such a transformational experience when she came out she was like i feel empowered for the mm -hmm. first time in my life Incredible. and her experience was different most people feel overly special in the world but she felt underly special so she came out and she was like I am special and like, I have important things to say. And she was like, for her, what I saw was she got to go into this container and she didn't have the constant reflection from the world that like, you suck, you're not important, you don't have anything good to say. And she was just like, actually, that's not true. I touched mm -hmm. spaces in me that that are meaningful and I, I have meaning. And she's like, I got to be with my wounded little girl for the first time in my life. And I actually saw that she was beautiful and that I love her. And it was just amazing witnessing what she was able to touch. And then there's the groups, people who, yeah, I guess they're just genuinely curious. They're just like, mm -hmm. I watched a video and it moved me and mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily a meditator. I've never done plant medicine. And so there's just this whole range. There was somebody who came a few weeks ago and then somebody who wrote a couple of days ago who were just like, I, I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better dad. I've never done therapy. I've never done anything, but I don't know, for some reason, this is interesting to me. And then other people who are like, I heard this and it sounded scary. And because it sounded scary, it's just like, I wanted to do it because like, to me, that meant that there was something there. And like, I'm just, I'm willing to, to go there without expectations of like having some kind of experience i'm just genuinely curious and it's really the people who are genuinely curious who i'd say who have an easier time of really almost slipping into that the spaciousness because there's not so much posturing or trying or wanting it to be a certain way there's just a willingness to see things exactly as they are that's really good as you're looking at the future of the sky cave retreat scott what is, what's 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 next for you any plans and yeah we are in the process of expanding kind of the slow process we have permits on our neighboring land to build seven more caves 4000 square foot lodge and some common dark spaces hmm. we're waiting for a few more pieces to come together before we start building but that's kind of the movement that's unfolding and there's this balance of keeping the intimacy and the integrity mm -hmm. as it's more than just like putting someone in the dark there is like the intimacy with the people who are here with the people who are holding it so keeping all of that together and also 
expanding will allow us to further evolve and refine. Like we don't have it figured out. There is no formula. You know, there's no playbook. I go up in the evenings when I bring people food and we have a conversation and that might last a couple minutes to 20 minutes. And every conversation is different. How I may support, like there's three people up there at any given time. And I may share some things or make a suggestion or ask a question to this person, which would be completely irrelevant mm -hmm. to this person. So there's a constant listening. There's a constant stumbling. Mm -hmm. And those tend to be some of my biggest learning experiences of when, when I get stuck in how I think it should be or when i get stuck in my agenda for even somebody to awaken or deepen or and those moments and those reflections afterwards tend to really for me illuminate where where i was stuck as righteous or wholesome or good as it may be any point where i really stop listening and just follow them becomes a point where it's like i've i've overlaid and it happens. I mean, we're human, so we're constantly overlaying what we know and doing my best to just soften and listen and not necessarily feel like this would be better than that. And so just because the experience in the dark is like the more someone just allows and includes all of it, the more space they open up to. And really so good. the expansion will provide more space for us to evolve and expand. There's the desire to make this applicable to as many people as possible. And for some people going into the darkness in solitude for three to four days is not going to be the most supportive thing. And mm -hmm. so we do have some people come who they go in for 12 hours, 24 hours, and then they come out and they maybe have a session or they go for a, a walk or we have a little chat and then they go back in. And so really playing with and evolving yeah. that so that we're constantly meeting people where they're at and seeing what's working, what's not working. It's really like, it's constantly evolving and changing and really remaining humble and open and not knowing. Like we have no idea what we're doing. It's working, it works yeah. and there's always more. And there's always more. Well, I would love, this has been a fascinating time with you, Scott. I would love our listeners to learn how to learn more about you and your Sky Cave retreats. Give us some resources, would you? Yeah, sure. So our website, skycaveretreats.com, our Instagram at skycaveretreats. And on our Instagram, we share a snippet, a reel, pretty much every day of somebody's exit interview and sharing. And it's amazing for me to witness like this profound lived in wisdom where yeah. somebody's not trying to be special. They're not trying to say interesting. They're not trying to like, they're hardly even trying to like, they're just trying to convey what they touched and yes. make sense of it because it was so far beyond anything they've ever known before. Also YouTube, we share some of them to YouTube and yeah. So you could find similar information, the reels, the videos, the experiences from all these people that come from all different walks of life, have language that is unusual because they've, I mean, for me, that's what sometimes moves me the most. I just brought someone out of the dark and I get no spiritual language at all. I mean, he had one point where he was just like, it was weird. I entered this space where like I was nothing and everything. 
And I knew that he didn't have any spiritual language. He's never heard that before as a saying. So he wasn't like saying something that he heard and he thought it would be mean. And I was just afterwards again, I was, I was like, you know, that's like a thing being everything and nothing is like this like authentic high spiritual state. And he's like, really? So it's just amazing. It's so humbling to be in the presence of what feels just like these enlightened beings when they emerge and that they're just so lived in this spaciousness and presence of inclusion and softness. As I've watched those exit interviews, and I've watched a number of them uh, on your site and on Instagram as well, there that that word humbleness and a sense of being awed by what they what they went through is really quite a beautiful thing to watch and listen to and have them share and. You know, I really appreciate you sharing with us today and joining us today and all you're sharing about this transformative experiences that people have had and that, that are available to those that are interested in joining. And I hope those listeners that uh, are interested will follow up. And I've so appreciated our time together today. Thank you for being with us, Scott. Yeah. Thanks, Graham. Thanks for having me. Been great to have you. I also want to thank you, our listeners, for dropping by and joining Scott and me today. It's always great to have you with us. Regarding our episode today, I want to remind you that it and its resources and all of our other episodes can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT. Thanks again for being with us on the show, and we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community, and if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.